In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, thank you for coming out tonight. Two things that stood out to me last night, and the one was the comparison that Brother Verlin pointed out between the fruits of the Spirit and the works of the flesh. Tonight, the world has a lot of things to offer for us for entertainment. It's the weekend, Saturday evening, no work tomorrow, no work today. For many people, there's a lot of things we could be doing other than gathered here together tonight to hear what the Lord has for us through the brother. God bless you for coming out tonight. And um, I trust that God has some rich spiritual food for us tonight. One other verse that was mentioned last night was, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Taken out of Psalm 139. And in that psalm, the writer of that psalm, he starts the verse out by saying, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. And then he goes over the next 20-some verses there, expounding how great God is, how much God knows about us, how we can't get away from God's knowing, from God's power. And then at the end of the verse, he he implores again, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. It is my desire to um, open my heart tonight for what God has for me. And um, I trust we can all do that and um, go from here tonight strengthened, encouraged, and um, better equipped for the service that God has for us. Before we turn the time over to Brother Verlin, let's stand for a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we come before you this evening. We thank you for this opportunity that we have to be together like this in your house, under the sound of your word, to be encouraged and strengthened. I just pray you would bless each one for coming out tonight. Bless Brother Verlin as he brings a message to us, as he expounds on the word of Christ and the truths that we find that are found in your word. I just pray that you would anoint his lips, give him the words to speak, give him the calmness of spirit. And I pray for each of us here that our hearts could be Soil that is prepared for what you have for us tonight. Ask these favors and blessings in your name, according to your will. Amen. The Lord bless you all for coming this evening. I greet you in the name of Jesus. And my desire is again to further the cause of the kingdom within you this evening. I promised the children a children's class tonight. So I don't know, children, would you want to come forward and sit over here on these benches? I don't know how you normally do here. Or over here on this side. Okay, great. Over here. Right where you're north. Come ahead. Come forward here. I didn't get my... Uh, I should have gotten the mic here. I'll try. I'll stay up here. I can see the children up here pretty good, so... Okay, we're running out of seats here a little bit. There we go. Got some more room. You young ladies, you want to just sit on the floor right up here? Sit right up here. 
Okay. All right. I've got a little children's class here for you tonight. I want to talk to you about a very important piece of equipment. Jesus said, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Does that mean Jesus is pretty important? Absolutely. And Jesus also said that, For without me ye can do nothing. I enjoy flying, but I'm not a pilot. I decided I'm never going to be a pilot because I didn't want to take my life in my own hands and figure I'm going to mess up on some way or another. But I like when other people fly me. And I like to watch airplanes land and take off. Anybody else here like to do that? Oh, yeah, I'm good company. If everything works okay, we're good. But if something decides not to work okay, we're not so good. <clears throat> well, I want to talk to you tonight about something that has to do with flying that becomes very, very important. In a little bit, I'm going to show you a picture of something, a piece of equipment that doesn't go on an airplane, but it actually goes on a helicopter. Or I should say it used to go on a helicopter. A helicopter has a very important uh, nut. Do you know what a nut is? I'm not talking about a peanut or a walnut or a, you know, not that kind of nut. I'm talking about a nut that screws on. And this particular nut screws on the top of the helicopter. And I actually got a picture of it here tonight, and I'm going to pass it around to you, and I wish that someday I could actually get a hold of this nut. I think it'd be a pretty good illustration, but for now I've got a picture of it. Now, would you believe? I'm going to let you look at this nut here. Okay? You all look at that picture here. All right? You see that? You see this nut right here? Do you see what it says up here on top? It says it's it, just trouble here. <laughs> This nut is called a Jesus nut. Would you believe it? It's called a Jesus nut because everything in that helicopter as it flies is relying on the Jesus nut. Well, let's see here. I had some. It was during the Vietnam War that uh, legend has it that a soldier. Asked an aircraft mechanic what this what would happen if this Jesus nut were to fall off. And the answer was simple. If this nut came loose, you would pray to Jesus. You would be screaming, Oh Jesus, at this point. And the failure of the Jesus nut would mean that the main rotor would be coming off, and without it the helicopter cannot fly at all, and it would plummet down to the ground, uncontrollable like a brick. It's not the kind of nut you want to have coming off of a helicopter. The story goes that one day, a crew chief had decided that he had had enough of his major. In other words, the commander. And so he walked out while the major was starting the helicopter, and in his hand he held a, a Jesus nut. And the crew chief started flipping the Jesus nut up and down in his hand, in the air. And the major saw this, 
and he went into emergency shutdown procedures with a helicopter, cutting the engine and securing the aircraft. And in a panic, he jumped out and he yelled at the crew chief, how come you're going to let me start this aircraft without the Jesus nut? And the crew chief explained, I wasn't going to do any such thing, Major. He was quite perplexed. Isn't that the same Jesus nut off of my aircraft? And crew chief replied, Sir, if you had done the proper pre-flight inspection like you should have, you'd have known this was not the Jesus nut off that helicopter. Well, needless to say, the major was quite humiliated by all of this, and he was sure to perform his own pre-flight inspections after that. You know, that's exactly the way it is with us. We need to make sure that Jesus is securely fastened on the top of our lives. He's that important. Jesus is that important. <clears throat> you know, there's this this name Jesus Nut is actually kind of old now. Those helicopters are kind of gone into the past and they have other ways of fastening the rotor on, I understand, the helicopters. But there's also a piece of equipment that rock climbers use that they also even call the Jesus Nut. And this is a, also, I'm told, is a pretty important piece that, that the rock climbers, as they're climbing high cliffs, they fasten the Jesus Nut onto the, onto the rocks. So other pieces that are really important that hold things up are called Jesus Nuts as well. Because that's how important Jesus is. Colossians chapter 1 says, All things have been created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and by all things are held together. That's like the Jesus nut. Jesus holding all things together. Well, someday, everyone is going to stand before God. And every knee is going to bow and will confess Jesus as Lord, that he is truly the one who holds all things together. My prayer would be that all of you children can come to know Jesus in that way, that he can hold your entire life together. You may go back to your parents. clear something up right here at the start and that is that I didn't get my suits shipped here. This is a borrowed suit. Just so you know. I'm grateful for each one here this evening again and I trust that um, I can once again communicate what I feel the Lord has to say through his word to us tonight. I'm glad to see so many youth here. I enjoy teaching youth, speaking to youth. You are at the threshold of your lives, and uh, your lives are standing before you, and you are formulating your ideals, what you're going to do with life, where you're going to head, which ones you're going to hold on to, and how you're going to hold on to them. And it's a joy to speak into your lives. <clears throat> Tonight I'd like to tell you something. That I think is uh, um, that I wrestled with as a young man, and that had to do with my gifting.
And I'm here to tell you tonight, to tell all of us, that you are gifted. You are gifted. Now, I don't know what you think about when you think about a gifted person. Someone with a lot of abilities. A many, many talented person. A smart person. Intelligent. Someone who excels academically. Extraordinary memory. Creative. Artistic. Leadership. You know, as I looked this up, I found on the internet how to know if your child is gifted. How to know if your child is gifted. If you can answer these following questions, they probably are. Number one, talks a blue streak using an unusually high vocabulary. Asks lots of questions. Number three, appears unusually sensitive to injustice or unkindness. Number four, wears you out with their endless questions. Number five, exhausts you with his seemingly boundless energy. Gets frustrated because her work is less than perfect. Gets totally absorbed in activities and thoughts. Number eight, prefers to work independently rather than in a group. Finds it difficult or undesirable to conform to others' expectations. And finally, number ten, has an unusual level of interest in classifying and organizing objects or ideas. I don't think it's very wise to spend a great deal of time trying to figure out if I or my children are gifted that way. Just seems to me to be an unprofitable ego trip that leads about nowhere. Because I understand Romans to tell me, Romans 12 to say, no, we're not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt every man a measure of faith. The Bible further says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Continues in verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. It seems to me that's a, it's a better focus to think about how well am I using what God has given me. How well am I using what God has given me? God has designed every individual to make a contribution. All of you. He's designed us all to make a contribution. We were made to accomplish. And you find meaning in life when you are able to use your creativity. I wondered as a young man, what do I have to offer? How can I contribute? 
I struggled with this. What do I have? What do I have? And I went off to Bible school and was searching for this answer. What, how would I have to contribute? And I asked a friend of mine who was uh, the kind of man who had vision and passion and seemed like he had all kinds of direction in life, all kinds of ideas and ideals that he was pursuing. And I asked him, so what do you think you, I can do? Well, he kind of said, you know, um, hmm, well, you can smile. <laughs> wasn't very helpful. Well, Jesus told a parable about what we have been gifted with. If you want to turn there, it's Matthew 25, beginning at verse 14. And it is a parable that illustrates how believers will be dealt with on Judgment Day. We're told here in this parable how important it is to use our giftings. Beginning in verse 14 of Matthew 25. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And to one he gave five talents, and another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he, had re- then he that had received five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise he that received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. And his Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou desirest, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents besides them. And his Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. And then he which had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went, and hid my talent in the earth. Lo, thou hast that is thine. And his lords answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I I sowed not, and gathered where I had not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it to him that hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he that and shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for this parable that illustrates so well what you expect of us while we are here, tearing and how we should use our gifts. Help us to understand at least some of it. In Jesus' name, amen.
Matthew chapter 25 starts out with, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto. We live today, you live today, in the day of the kingdom of heaven. This is how it is. And Jesus makes a description. He's teaching the aspects of the domain. And this is how it works. Remember, the kingdom of heaven was primarily the theme of Jesus' teaching. The kingdom of heaven was the theme of Jesus' teaching. It's the theme of the gospel. And here we have another description of life in the kingdom. If you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, we listen carefully because this matters to us. So we have the master leaving for a while. And before he leaves, he passes out gifts. Notice how he passes out the gifts. He knows just how much to give to each person. In reality, some got more than others. Some got five. Some got two. Some got one. He did so each according to his ability. He knows us very well. He knows just how much each one of you can handle. How much you can handle. It's just that I need to figure out how I'm going to use what I've been given. He didn't tell them how to use the gifts that he gave them. It became obvious that they knew what they were supposed to do with the gifts. And the first traded his five talents and made five more. He went into business with his money and doubled it. The second also went into business and did the same. He doubled it. But the third was a different story. He went out into his backyard, he dug a hole, and he buried the money. And a long time afterwards, and we're not told how long, there was a day of reckoning. Each brought the result of their investments. With the first two, the master was very pleased. With the last one, he gives a very serious sermon and consequences to follow. Now, this being a parable, there's a meaning behind each incident. The man traveling into a far country is Jesus at his ascension. The servants are the followers of Jesus. Those who have been baptized. The goods and the belongings that were divided out are the gifts, the responsibilities your talents, your opportunities. After a long time he returns, there's no date given. That's the return of Christ and the reckoning and the judgment. What is being taught here? It's a lesson on stewardship. It's not just about money. It could be. It may include money and the ability to make it. But it's a a lesson about the Christian life and the opportunities that we have. Now here's some observations. 
God has placed his kingdom into the hands of people. And he will require an account on his return. You are vessels. You are vessels that God has to do his work. You are the ones that he is depending on to accomplish his purposes on this earth. We pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And a large part of it is up to us to do it. But we're not alone. He is with us. Our faithfulness is what's important. Your faithfulness is what's important, not necessarily your ability that will determine divine pleasure or displeasure. It's your faithfulness. God won't ask you to do what you're not able to do. You're not asked. If you're not a five-talent person, you're not asked to be one. If you're only a two-talented person, you're not asked to be a five-talented person. You're asked to use your two talents. You are to be faithful with what you've been given, with what you have. And when you use what you've been given, when you use what you've been given, you might actually be given more. I find that an adventure. Absolutely. Another observation. Never focus on the size of your talent. Never focus on the size of your talent. If you do, you will either become heady and proud or you will become discouraged and unuseful on the stump of self-pity. Never focus on the size of your talent or the amount. Because when you focus on the size of, of your talents or compare yourselves with others, there is seldom a positive result. They tend to become critical of other people, jealous of their usefulness, and you're not developing you are now burying your talent. We will see others as competition rather than companions. Well, you might be saying, how do you know so much? I'm glad you asked. I've been there. I've focused on the size of my talent and I've become very discouraged. Very discouraged. Be faithful what you have and be developed. It's very possible that if you develop, that you will be given more. The fruit of our lives will either bring eternal blessing and reward that we can hardly contain or will bring the loss of our eternal soul. How we use what we've been given matters very much to our Heavenly Father. Because we will be evaluated in the end. The point of the parable is to bring us face to face with the fact that we are responsible to use those opportunities that we have. 
And God's not looking for our excuses. He's looking for our availability and results. Irresponsible Christians put their soul's salvation at risk of eternal loss through divine displeasure. And I repeat those final verses. Take therefore the talent from him and give it to him that hath ten talents. Right? And to everyone that hath shall be given, and he that and shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This unprofitable servant feared the judgment. But unlike the other two, they look forward to the time where they could meet the master and present to him their gifts. That's the difference. That wicked servant thought he could never please his master. He thought his works, he thought his works would never amount to anything. It almost seems to, it seems to me as I read this that he thought he didn't need works. All he needed was just salvation. It was as though he thought his works were filthy rags. And what a foolish doctrine and misuse of Isaiah 64 6. I'm just so grateful that I can actually please my master by my works of righteousness. Can I still preach here? No, I'm not earning my salvation. Any more than barking makes a dog. A dog barks because he is a dog. So, what are what are these talents? What are these gifts? What are these goods that the Lord was passing out to each of his servants and the followers? I think it's just something we're good at. I think it's something you're good at. It's a gifting. You're gifted. Perhaps it's a natural gifting. Maybe you can do mathematical equations. That was a mouthful for me because I can't hardly do it. Maybe you can write. Maybe you know how to serve. You're creative. You can decorate. Maybe you can speak. Maybe you can lead. Maybe you can sing. You can do art. You're good at mechanics or woodworking and design. You can make tasty food. You're good at thinking and logic. You're good teaching. You're good with children. A lot of unbelievers have these gifts. God dealt them out to everyone. He created us all, all mankind, if they believe in Him or not, with the desire to be productive. But we, as we become members of the body of Christ, we begin to exercise spiritual gifts 
and we mature and we can use these natural abilities in godly ways. Romans 12 gives us a list of giftings. Romans 12, beginning of verse 4, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace given unto us, whether prophecy let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, or he that giveth let him do it with simplicity, or he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. The prophet, (coughs) the server, the teacher, the exhorter, the ruler, and the merciful. Each one is a servant in their own way. Each one is a gifting. Let me describe to you a scene so that we can understand how these things at least work in some way. There's a delicious dinner that's been made, and it's elegant. At the last minute, in a careless moment, Someone knocks the entire platter of meat to the floor. And there's a mess. There's a mess. And you'll immediately see the spiritual gifts spring into action. The prophet may, after after the mess is all cleaned up, the prophet will make a comment or two about how to be more careful so that this kind of waste doesn't happen again. The server immediately springs into action, getting deeply and personally involved in getting this mess all cleaned up, knew just how to get it done. The teacher begins to analyze what has taken place and why the pieces of glass flew so far from the crash landing. The exhorter sees the bright side and that not all the meat was spoiled and encourages the offender and the group that it really isn't that bad and we can still salvage a portion. The ruler, the administrator steps in and effortlessly gives instructions to everyone on how to get the mess cleaned up and back and the meal back to normal in only a short amount of time. And the merciful, what do you suppose, goes and puts his arm around the victim, the offender, and tells them what, what happened. has also happened to him, and not to feel so bad. We all make mistakes. Each response is appropriate in its right time. And I don't know about you, if you found yourself identifying with one or several, but it's probably what you're good at. It's probably what you do best. It's your gifting. And you might have several responses. But if you're blessed with a certain response of how you would have responded, that's probably where you're gifted. And it's probably the place where you can contribute. Now, we need to be careful when you see that this is the gifting you have, not to be critical of the others. And I think it's just... It's beautiful if we have a bit of an understanding of these different giftings because when we realize that we all have something to contribute, we are 
more and or better able to live more wisely and comfortably with each other because we respond to situations differently. We can learn to bless and learn from each other, compliment each other, and how we respond to these needs. So the talents delivered to us includes our abilities and much more. <clears throat> Responsibilities, opportunities, our time, including our free time, our money, our health, our strength. We, you are truly gifted. But wait a minute. Five, two, one. Lord, that's not fair. Why would somebody get five and I only get one? Should that bother us? Did God love the one he gave five more than the one that he gave one to? No. He loves us all the same. He loves us all, all the same. More does not equal more love. He gave it out according to each his ability. I take great comfort in knowing that God knows my limitations and my abilities. He will not give me more than I am able to use. You're not loved less because you have been given one talent and not ten. Someone has said that the kingdom of God is largely built by one talented people. Let's look for a moment at the profitable servants. They're the ones who heard the Lord say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. How did they get there? How did they get there? Did they get there because they were given good self-esteem? Because they had more than one talent? They felt really good about themselves. Did they believe the false notion that in order to make someone flourish, you need to make them feel really good about themselves? No, these were those who were profitable because they were faithful over a few things. And the Lord called these five talented people few things. They were given few things. Once again, it's not about the amount, it's about the faithfulness. The focus is not on the kind of work, but it's on the kind of worker. <clears throat> the increase was due to the faithfulness of the servant, getting the amounts of work done. <clears throat> so, getting to work with what? I'm just here to say that all work is Christian work. All work is Christian work, as long as it's morally upright. Whether it's cleaning the sewer or preaching a sermon. Whether it's washing the dishes or singing a solo. Elizabeth Elliot said that a Christian finds fulfillment not in a particular kind of work that he does, but in the way in which he does it. Take example from John the Baptist. When he was approached by the... Um, 
the soldiers and the publicans, or the tax collectors. They came to John the Baptist asking, what should we do to prove our repentance? And John didn't tell them, go quit your jobs and come do what I'm doing. He didn't. In Luke chapter 3, And then came also the publicans to be baptized and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed you. And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, What shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, but be content with your wages. So the publicans, he said, Just go do what you're supposed to do, honestly and uprightly. The soldiers, he said, be kind, be faithful, and be happy with your pay. We all have our line of duty. There are so many jobs that we consider lesser and not holy work. What are we going to do with them? What a common question that men ask. No, I should say it this way. What is the common question that we men ask each other when we meet for the first time? You're saying it. So what do you do? <laughs> it's meant, how do you earn your living? But you know, there's all kinds of other duties besides how you earn your living. You tie shoes, right? You make beds for others. You iron clothes. You give up your parking space. You give a friendly greeting. And for none of these things do you get paid for. Not a one. There's service for him. And if you don't do it, nobody will. And someday the righteous will say, Lord, when did I fold your clothes? Or shake your hand. So humility is needed for all gifted Christian work. The apostles, the the, the men on top, the men on the that that were seen, they didn't have time to wait on tables, right? So they went out looking for someone who could. Someone who would wait on tables. And they found Stephen. Let me make this point very clear. Stephen did not set out to make church history. He set out to serve tables. And he made church history. We read about Stephen today and his martyrdom because of his faithfulness to the small tasks not up front, serving. You see, the glamour, the glamour of using your talents is soon lost in the discipline of faithful work and the opportunities that come your way. So, just discipline. Doing it because it's the right faithful thing to do. Do you know what it means to be intimidated? Do you know what it means to be intimidated? I know what it means to be intimidated. I've been intimidated. 
But intimidation won't affect this kind of a person because they're most interested in just being faithful. Intimidation comes when we have something to defend. But this kind of person chooses not to be intimidated because he's focusing on what he's responsible to do. Intimidation is focusing on my abilities versus the abilities of others. I get into the atmosphere or the presence of someone who's got bigger responsibilities than I and I feel intimidated. That's because I'm focusing on his versus mine. How do I know so much? I've been there. I've been there. So the profitable servant has the right attitude. He's looking at what is the right thing to do. And he's not looking at what can I get by with. He wants to be profitable. So profitable servants ask questions like this, and I've got a whole list of them. Profitable servants are asking, what's a good book for me to read? How can I help with this project? How can I channel my money to worthwhile projects? What can I do to contribute to the kingdom of God? Where can we reach out more? Who needs help today? Why am I spiritually lax? Why do we even consider buying a new pickup that I don't really need? Where can I find homeless people to minister to? Why is my prayer life lacking? How does a church go about doing street ministry? Who needs a birthday card or a sympathy card? How can I teach Sunday school class better? How can I be more fearless in sharing my faith? How can I be more righteous and not self-righteous? How does this music encourage me to do what is right? What is the best use of my time? And where am I wasting my time? You see, this is the kind of thinking that profitable servants engage in. And responses to these kind of questions bring a blessed response from the Master. So, profitable servants are very busy people. They're just very busy. They see opportunities all over the place. And you know, those kind of people tend to get overwhelmed with the magnitude of the opportunities. They're thrilled with the adventure, but oh, the needs, oh, the things that I can engage in. Oh, can I, Lord, can I just make a difference? I like the illustration. I'm sure you've heard it. There was a young man who was walking down a deserted beach just before dawn. And in the distance he saw an old frail man. And as he approached the old man, he saw him picking up stranded starfish and throwing them back into the sea. And the young man gazed in wonder as the old man again and again threw small starfish from from the sand to the water. And he asked, old man, why do you spend so much energy doing what seems to be a waste of time? And the old man explained that starfish would die in, in the morning sun. But there must be thousands of beaches and millions of starfish, exclaimed, exclaimed the young man. How do you make any difference? And the old man looked down at a small starfish in his hand. And as he threw it to the safety of the sea, he said, I make a difference to that one. 
being faithful to the opportunity that lies before us. The unprofitable servant was condemned for not trying. Not even trying. He indulged in fear and slothfulness and in saying, I will slide by. The unprofitable servant looked at the Lord as a hard man, gathering where he had not sown was his accusation. He tries to blame the Lord for requiring too much. Your command is too hard. I just did what I had to do under your circumstances. This man was not wanting to work for the Lord. He was working for, wanted to work for himself, hoping for a reward. He didn't see himself as a slave needing to obey. He saw himself needing to work it out his own way. And so he devised his own plan. Instead of the attitude of, where can I help, where can I serve? He was, how can I slip out on it and still get saved? How can I do it? Hey, I got a plan. I'm going to bury it. I'll give it right back and I should be able to make it in. What can I indulge in and hang on to my salvation? My salvation is buried in the backyard and no one can take it from me. I'm secure. So how did this servant or this Christian become unprofitable? He buried his opportunities. He buried his responsibility. He buried his time. He buried his gifts. He buried his money. He hoarded it for himself. He buried his strength, his health. He buried his salvation. And what did he do in the meantime? He did what worldly people do. He tried to keep one foot in the church and tried to be a Christian. And he asked unproductive questions. He asked the unproductive question, what's wrong with it? What's wrong with my music? What's wrong with the movies once in a while? What's wrong with kissing and hugging during courtship? What's wrong with mixed swimming? What's wrong with country music? What's wrong with some makeup? What's wrong with keeping up with professional sports? What's wrong with a small covering? What's wrong with it? He was questioning rather than being productive. See, it's a whole lot easier. It doesn't take a very big person to question and criticize. It takes a lot more to stand for principle. And I was afraid, he said. And I went and I hid my talent in the earth. And lo, thou hast what is thine. You can have back what's yours. I'm scared of what you might do. It's your fault. You should have been more kind, Lord. You should have been more loving. You shouldn't ask so much of your servants. I'm guiltless. And in the end, it's the judgment of the unprofitable servant, thou wicked and slothful servant, you wicked Christian. He is called a servant, identified as one. You had an evil attitude that numbers you with the wicked. You were slothful because you didn't use what I gave you. You sat on the church pews and kept them warm, but that's all. Just because you were baptized doesn't mean that you were profitable. 
through any acts of obedience. You never really plugged in. The Lord was saying, I didn't require volume. I only asked you to use what you had. You didn't need to be a big Christian. I don't measure big or small, but I reward effort. Therefore, take the talent from him. Strip him of what he had and give it to someone else. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness and there should be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He not only lost his opportunity, but he lost his soul. Darkness and forever regret over a past lack of application. I encourage you, use profitably what you've been gifted with. You are gifted. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Let's just have a few moments of quiet reflection. How are you using what God has given you? Do you find yourself as you go throughout your days asking profitable questions? Do you use your free time profitably? Or do you waste valuable time maybe with your phone? And how does God look at that? Do you fear what God will think of you on Judgment Day? That fear paralyzes and causes us to bury our opportunities. And are you busy using are you busy using your opportunities? Heavenly Father, if we could have in some small way this evening encouraged your kingdom, the kingdom of God that is within these souls, I pray, Lord, your kingdom would come and your will would be done through this body of believers. Work in our hearts, Lord. We can be, all here could be profitable servants, not fearing the judgment, but looking forward to the day when we can present to you our gifts, multiplied gifts. May we just focus on being faithful, Lord. We trust you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. I have a, a little a poem here written by Daryl Brayton that my wife and I have found encouraging. It's how I'd like to end. And he says, I have concluded that I do not want an easy, pain-free life. Rather, I want to stand before God Sweaty, tired, broken. Because I have invested my life and resources for the kingdom of God and for the benefit of others. Galatians 6.10 As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially 
unto them who are of the household of faith. And Matthew 5, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Would you stand together? Now for a benediction out of Ephesians chapter 3. Now to him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, and to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus through all ages, world without end. Amen. Thank you for listening. Look forward to seeing you tomorrow. You're dismissed.